0: And as we think on building families of faith, this week as we continue on in that series, we want to move on thinking of that to Luke chapter 16. A family of faith is built by God himself being allowed to rule in the home. And a lasting legacy begins with little decisions. Now, this morning we're going to speak on something that will help us and encourage us. Two men, two destinations. Luke in chapter 16. Luke in chapter 16, verse 19. The rich man also died and was buried. And in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy upon me and send Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted and thou art tormented. And beside all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from thence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. And he said, I pray thee, therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house, for I have five brethren that he may testify unto them, lest they also come to this place of torment. Abraham said unto him, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went to them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto them, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. In this passage in Luke, we see two men with two distinct destinations. We see two homes going different ways. We see one man, this rich man, the Bible says, who was clothed, in purple and fine linen, and he fared sumptuously every day. You would have seen a feast on his table. The beggar's sitting at his gate and just says, you know what? I just want a few crumbs. That's all I want. I want a little bit of scraps from the table, the leftovers. I want the food that people eat. Don't we as an American society have a lot of leftover food, all right? And... Uh, a lot of leftover food and we have a society that throws a lot away and we live much like this rich man as a society we've enjoyed living in one of the wealthiest cultures known to men and if you want every meal delivered to your door all you have to do is swipe your card click on a nap DoorDash will show up at your door with whatever you want right Okay, whatever you want, whatever your soul can desire for, and if you don't have enough money to pay for it, you can apply for credit and get some more credit to go ahead and buy whatever you want, right? I mean, we, we, we're not really in a, in a poor society in that way. You say, but we don't have much money maybe as a society. Uh, some people, you know, maybe, you know, we're just barely making it by, but we have credit cards that we can swipe for whatever we want and we can get it instantly delivered if you want, if you want anything. You want a part for your, uh, something for your house, you want new furniture, whatever you want, you can literally just click, and the next day it'll show up at your door. Somebody else will brave the weather to bring it to you, and you can make payments on it and hope it'll be yours one day if the cat and the dog or child don't eat it. I mean, that's the culture we live in. We live in a culture where truly, as Americans, we are a very rich people. We have access to riches and wealth. And you say, but we, uh, maybe, maybe we're not that well off, maybe you're not that well off. You say, this rich man, was he well off? He was clearly well off in the text. But I would say that if, if we travel the world, if you traveled with me to where like our missionaries are over in Uganda, and uh, you saw Uganda, Africa, they're living in a house, saved a lot of building costs. The building costs don't go up over there. They just cut the dirt out of the ground, stack it up, and it's sawed, stacked. The windows, it's just wood that they got from the village. The, the, the doors, the metal on the door just came from the tin cans that come from the surplus that, the, that we send them for bulk foods and the tin, they cut the tin can, unroll it, and they nail that to their doors to make the doors. Their, their economy isn't going to struggle as much as some other economies because their building materials are literally from the ground. They build their houses right out of dirt. They live poor as dirt. We as Americans have been very blessed. We live in one of the wealthiest nations in the world. Anything we desire can be delivered. It will be dropped off the next day. If we don't want to pay our rent or power or anything else, we can just submit a request and the government pays it all for a while. In our culture, you can have a bank account with no money and still go out to eat at fancy restaurants. You say, no, that's not possible. Yes, it is. People getting $50,000 on their credit card debt, okay? People go out to eat at fancy restaurants without any money. Buy clothes and whatever you want. You can buy it on a credit card. If we decide to not pay, a simple bankruptcy will clear it up and folks can start all over again. We live in a culture, right? Right? People can whack up and absorb a bunch of debt. Oh, file for bankruptcy. Boom. Debt's all gone. Back start all over again. Okay? We live in a culture where, yes, we are a very wealthy culture. We have access to riches and wealth. And in our text, we see these two men with two different destinations. Our culture lives like this rich man. We have all that heart could wish. Click on it and it's yours. We're the most entertained, amused, and pampered society known to men. We consume video content like no other generation known to men. And we have it all, but the all is distracting us from Christ. The rich man had it all. You say, I don't have a lot of money, but we have a lot of entertainment. We are the first nation in the world and the first culture in the world to actually become sick from amusing and entertaining ourselves to such an extent that people are struggling from mental problems simply related to over-amusement, over-indulgence in amusement. I mean, we live in a very, very rich society. And I submit to you in the text, the Lord doesn't tell us if these men had children. It's a parable. These details were not essential to the story, but we do know these men lived distinctly different lives. One went to a place of comfort and peace in the presence of God. The other went to a place of fire and torment. One experienced a brief time of suffering on this earth for righteousness' sake and had eternal pleasure. The other experienced a brief life of pleasure and gluttony and wound up in hell far from God. And I submit to you, each one of us is in one of these two categories. Following Christ, there is no middle ground. The rich man, the Bible says in verse 19, he fared sumptuously every day. Day he was well taken care of. He had whatever he wanted. Don't you hear the expression a lot? I just want my kids to have whatever they need, whatever they want. It's a good expression, but that's what the man lived for. He just wanted to have certain things. But the Bible describes this other man. It says there was a certain beggar, a beggar named Lazarus, which was laid at his gate full of sores. You say, could Lazarus walk from the text? It says he was laid at his gate. I wonder if Lazarus had actually been placed there, if people actually carried him and sat him down there. The man was incapable of moving, maybe. I don't know. The Bible says he was laid at his gate. We know this. That's where he spent a lot of time. Outside of the rich man's house. See, we either live for our own pleasure and purposes or we live for his pleasure and his purposes. We will build families of faith this year, and if we will, we must carefully build a good foundation. I want to share with you this quote, and by the way, um, I'll quote certain authors, and look, um, well, because you quote somebody doesn't mean you agree with every single thing they said. Okay? All right? We good? And so I may quote an author, and you say, oh, but Pastor, you might not agree with that. everything. That, this is very good. All right? You ready? A superficial knowledge of God, a shallow knowledge of God, A limited knowledge of God contributes to a limited understanding and limited faith and limited trust. Dr. John MacArthur. I believe and agree with what he said there. A superficial knowledge, a shallow, a limited knowledge of God contributes to a limited understanding. Look, it's time to stop blaming that on our family. I was raised this way. I wasn't raised in a Christian home, so then I don't have to know. I don't know all those things. We all have access to the Word of God. We live in a nation in which uh, we can pretty much have any information that we want. Uh, we can have any sermons that we want to hear. We can have any reading that we want to have. We have access to the Bible. We have access to Bible study materials. We have access to knowledge like no other nation and no other people. And yet, my friend, if we're not careful, we can have a superficial knowledge of God. And it leads to us to a limited understanding, limited faith, limited trust. So we're not fully depending upon Christ, which is great danger. We see in this text the rich man. We're going to look at these two men this morning. The rich man first. He, the Bible tells us he was very rich. He fared sumptuously. He had everything his heart could wish for. He lived a life focused on pleasure right now. Now, let's just be honest. Isn't our culture focused on pleasure right now? Enjoy life right now. Have whatever you want right now. I've got to think of my family right now. Everything's about right now. So the Bible tells us this rich man, he was focused on the temporal. He was focused on what he had right now. We're all tempted to live like this rich man. Notice this rich man had walls built around himself, right? You say, how do you know he had walls? The Bible says there was a gate, and it says Lazarus sat outside the gate. You say, but at our houses, we don't have gates. It's those wealthy people down the road. They have a gate. So, Pastor, the text is talking about them, right? They're the rich man because they have a gate, okay? So then everybody who has cows and cattle has gates, all right? so, <laughs> All right, come on, guys. Um, yes, there are classes of people. And yes, there are those who have gated communities and such. And there's nothing wrong with having a gated community. That's not what he's talking about here. He's saying this rich man had this, these walls built around him, and he didn't care about the poor people outside of that wall. All he thought about was himself and his life. All he thought about was what his emotions, his feelings, what his family needed. And we're all tempted to live like this rich man. Hasn't the virus taught us some things like that? COVID's taught us to live reserved life, lives. I mean, we, we're taught we ought to stay inside our gates Well, the whole world passes by because, heaven forbid, should you touch somebody, you might give them the virus. But it seems like on the fully, let me just go on for just two seconds, on the fully vaccinated cruise ships, you ought to read what happens. They still all came out with COVID, all right? And they were all fully vaxxed and they were all fully following all the protocols and they still got sick, okay? And so you just read through that and you see there's a whole lot more to this than what they're telling us. My friend, we've been taught to live inside of walls and to have these walls, and that's not the way God created for us to live. Inside these walls of our houses, we indulge in everything that heart could wish for, and yet we're not satisfied. Friend, each of us have been tempted and will be tempted to live just like those who are going to hell. We'll, we're tempted. I didn't say we're going. I said I didn't say you were going. Okay. I said we are tempted to live just like those who are going to hell. The rich man cared about himself, his food, his appetite. Aren't we one of the most spoiled generations on the earth? Somebody gave us a gift card and we went up to this eatery in Pulteney and we were having lunch, and how many people throw away their food and just left it out? Yesterday, how many people just left half plates of food? And I'm like, like they didn't even buy it. They didn't even, you know, they didn't want to eat it. They paid for it, but they didn't want to eat it. And they're sitting there, and we're such a culture of, you know, ah, I don't like the flavor of this. I'm just not going to eat it. We're a very, very selfish culture. If every professing Christian believed in hell, we would share the gospel with urgency. See, we live a life consumed with self-centered living. We're tempted to live like the rich man. That's why we ought to search and examine ourselves. Lord, I'm in the faith. Lord, I'm in the faith. The rich man lived for himself. He lived for himself. How tempted have we been, right? To live for ourselves. I beg you, don't live for yourself. That person at the drive-thru needs Jesus. If they die without Christ, they will perish. That man, that woman who plows your street tomorrow and drives that plow truck, they need Jesus. Jesus. That person who comes and delivers your packages to your door, have you ever thought about maybe you see them coming up the driveway? Hey, friend, how are you doing today? Showing them a little bit of kindness? Showing them a little bit of love? uh, Thinking a little bit about them? They're a real person, too, and they need Christ. Who will love them? Have you thought about making some cookies for them? Leaving them a soda? Doing something kind for them? Who will love them? Who will answer their questions? You say, should I stick a tract on it? Probably not the first time. Show them a little bit of love for a while. Don't just stuff things down their throat. Who will love them? Who will tell them? Who will answer their questions? Who will convince them that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life? We see in this text, this rich man was so focused on himself, he was living for himself. Look in verse in chapter 12. Look at another man. that's described there. There's a parable, another parable Jesus gives. parable is where Jesus is drawing us an analogy of these two different types of people. In Luke chapter 12, verse 16, it says, He spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. So he has a lot of food. It says, And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do? because I have no room wherewith to bestow my fruits. And he said, this will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there will I bestow all my fruits and all my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast many goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee, Then whose shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself, and what's the last part of the phrase? Read it together with me. And is not rich toward God. This rich man had it all. And by application, any of us who secure our own income but don't invest in the kingdom of God are in danger of falling in this category, that our soul is required before God. He says, so is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. The rich man is living by a lifestyle of self-absorption, self-protection, uh, thinking of only his family, his life, and it says not rich towards God. Do you realize the souls that you reach for Christ are what's going to matter in eternity? Not whether or not we bought the right stock at the right time. Okay. Um, now, it would be wise if you can invest to invest wisely so that you can generously give to the work of God and help uh, the kingdom of God go forward. We have missionaries right now who are struggling. There are things that we can always do for others, There's nothing wrong with investing and planning and preparing. But he's saying this rich man lives a life focused on laying up for himself and is not rich towards God. There's nothing going towards God. The focus is on self first, and the leftovers go to God. The American dream can quickly become a dream to live like the rich man without God. You know how many times somebody told me? They said, because you know... um, like to, I like to fix up, you know, broken houses and things. And somebody said, well, what if one day you find a broken house and you're fixing it up and you find a big store of money? Wouldn't you just go buy a house and live on an island and get away from everybody and live peacefully forever and ever? Like that's the dream, to get away from everybody else and live a life absorbed in self and drunkenness. Like that's the American dream. It is in many ways. The rich man, he lived a life absorbed with himself. He was eating well. He was sleeping well. He had everything his heart could wish for. And my friend, we as American people have everything we want. We might be having to still pay for it, but we got everything we want. If If we want it, we can have it. And we live much like this rich man as a culture, absorbed in self. Our culture is so self-absorbed, and we're all tempted to live like the rich man. But this morning, we also see another man. This man in the text is rich towards God. He's the poor man. In verse 20, it says there was a certain beggar. And it says he was full of sores, and it said he desired to be fed with the crumbs. He just wanted dumpster food. He was full of sores. You say, Pastor, does that mean we have to have boils and sores and we have to be sick in order to enter the kingdom of God? That's not what he's speaking of. He's drawing us an analogy and saying, this one man, he genuinely has a lot of health problems... I don't know, maybe because he was serving a bunch of people that were sick, and that's how he got sick. I don't know. The text doesn't tell us. But he says that this one has a lot of physical disabilities, the physical ailments that you could say would have held him back. But he's struggling, he's begging, and it says he just wanted the crumbs to eat. He wanted the dumpster food. Luke 21 or 12 verse 21 we read the verse a moment ago it says so is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich towards god see the poor in spirit invest in the souls instead of in themselves remember Matthew chapter 5 Jesus said blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of god the poor man investing in the kingdom of god loving and by the way it goes way more than just our money it's our heart we can give financially the work of God and have a rotten heart towards the leaders. And if we do that, our investment is like tinkling. It's like, uh, the Bible says, a symbol that's just clanging or clanging around. Look in 1 look in Corinthians, read the passage. You can give your body to be burned. You can give everything you have. You can leave this world poor and yet have not, not have love in your heart. And God says that we have no eternal investment. And so it's not about a quantity, it's about the quality of our heart. He that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. This poor man lived for Christ. You say, how do you know that? Because you see later on in the text, and we'll go there in a moment. If we live for our pleasure, we, we live a life of selfishness. But we must instead live a life giving our pleasure and giving, our, and giving ourselves for his glory. Look, our good works can't get us to heaven. The Bible doesn't teach us that. But the Bible does tell us in Proverbs 14, verse 12, there is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. So there's a way that can seem right to ourselves, but it leads us to death. The poor man is a man, though, who is living a life dependent upon his maker. So how do we know which one we are? None of us are sitting physically outside of a gate having the wild dogs lick up our wounds. Is that where your wife found you this morning? Sitting outside of the neighbor's gate begging for breakfast? I think you would be frozen, okay? You would have, (laughs) your hands would be white this morning. If you would have been out there even wearing gloves in this weather, thick insulated gloves, it goes right through, does it not? He's not talking about us literally all having to be outside begging. That's not what he's speaking of. None of us are sitting outside of a gate like that. But I submit to you, Jesus was teaching a lesson, giving us an example, showing us that not all roads are equal. There are only two paths, living for self or living for Christ. Notice in verse 22 of our text, back in Luke 14 or 16, the Bible tells us, and it came to pass that the beggar died, and it says he was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man died also. ...and was buried. They both died. Hebrews 9.27 says, "...it is appointed to man once to die... ...and after this, the judgment." We're all going to appear before God. We all have an appointment with death. I submit to you that most of Christians today... ...we live as though we're not going to meet death. Because we live for ourselves. People go to the church that makes them feel good. They do what they want. They live their life for themselves. And then at the end, hope will get to heaven... Because we've been doing good things for God. No, that's not the way it works. It's appointed a man once to die. And in verse 22, they see they both died. They both died. And the Bible says one was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. As I understand it to be. Souls of those who had died did not go to heaven until after Christ died and went to heaven. As I understand it, they waited in a place in Abraham's bosom. You say, was that literally inside of Abraham? No. It was speaking of those who had trusted in the Abrahamic covenant, faith in the bloodline, which is faith in that Jesus Christ would come to be the Redeemer. You say, was that located in the center of the earth? Or was that located in some other place? I do believe it. there's a high possibility it was located in the earth. Okay, the Bible describes a chasm. It describes that there's one place called hell. I do believe hell is in the center of the earth, but another place where they could see one another. You say, could that be somewhere else? It could have been somewhere else. God alone knows exactly where that was located. But we do understand this. They were in this place where there was no suffering, Abraham's bosom, but they could not pass to the other place, which is the place called hell. But they could see ...from one place to the other. We know that. All right? That's enough details for me. We also know that in the very end, hell is going to be cast into a place called the Lake of Fire. That's a different location. It's not inside the earth. Where people will continue falling for all of eternity. Those who have rejected Christ, lived a life for themselves... So it is appointed unto man once to die, and after this, the judgment. There's nothing we can do to stop death. Our every breath is a gift from God. And the fear of dying is so great that people have become more self-centered. We've been told that those without this and that and those without the masks are the ones who are going to kill us all. They're going to kill us all, they say. But what are we really being told to fear? We're being told and taught we ought to fear death. Why fear death? Why fear death? You realize that most states are doing research right now, and there's a group of people that are dying that normally don't die, aged 18 through 49, the prime age. A huge mortality rate all of a sudden. People have stayed home, stayed safe, done this and that, and whatever the government required them to do, and now all of a sudden this huge age gap, these people are dying off like crazy, and they're saying, I don't know why they're dying. I've got theories, but I'm not going to go into them. But my friend, I'll tell you, when you try to run from death, sometimes that's exactly what we get. And our culture has has been teaching us, and the world has been teaching us, hey, you need to do all these things so you won't die, but we all have an appointment with death. And they're trying to do some research to understand why are people dying so quickly? Why is this age group passing away so quickly? And look, I live in that age group, so... Okay, Um, And they're saying, why are these people dying so quickly? Why is there such a fast death rate right now in the prime age? It doesn't make sense. See, my friend, we all have an appointment with death. And because all men truly do fear death, that's why we're being taught. People are saying, oh, don't do these things or you might die. And substances can temporarily make us not fear death. But one day we're all going to wake up in one place, either heaven or hell. We don't get a second chance. The rich man lived a pleasant life. He lived a good life by the world's standards, but he woke up in hell one day. The poor man wound up in heaven. And I plead with you, don't just improve your life. Let Christ transform it. See, the problem with with our Christianity is that we look to God's word, and then we look at our life and we try to use God's word to explain away the things that we don't want to change in our life. But God's word was given to us to show us what needs to change in our homes, and our families. And we ought to expose ourselves to preaching that stirs, that convicts us about our own habits that are displeasing to God if the preaching doesn't convict us about our own habits if it's just a lesson in some history and we want to learn and understand the Bible better and uh, we say you know what I just want to learn and understand the Bible better but if that doesn't cause us to change our behavior and lead somebody to Christ then we ought to examine ourselves and see if we be in the faith if our heart just wants more information but does not want to change my friend we might be on the broad road to hell we might be on the broad road to hell because we just want information the atheist wants information too but he's not going to heaven. See, God's word was given to show us what needs to change and we ought to expose ourselves to things that cause us to change. I think there's such a holy sweetness when a child begins to truly fear God. When a child begins to fear God, there's something sweet about it. I saw this quote. I think it's very good. Our children are not falling away because the church is doing a poor job. Our children are falling away because we are asking the church to do what God designed the family to accomplish. We're asking the church in a few minutes on Sunday to do what we ought to be doing every day, Deuteronomy chapter 6, teaching them to our children, and we ought to be in the word every day. And we're asking the church to do that and, and expecting that if a child comes to a particular program or t- ...particular activity... ...if they go to summer camp... ...whatever... ...that's going to change their behavior... ...if they do this or that... ...it's going to completely transform the life... ...the home is the place... ...where God designed for us to live... ...in a way that pleases Him... ...and this rich man lived one way... ...the poor man lived another... ...the rich man had it all... ...in our culture... ...we are all tempted to live... ...like the rich man... ...you say but... ...we're maybe... ...maybe just barely making ends meet... ...look... People can live off just government income and still be able to do pretty well right now uh, in some respects. In some respects, given certain situations. And, and so there's this, this dependence upon things and having stuff, having nice things. And a focus on pleasure instead of a focus on Christ. Look, if you would, in Matthew... Uh, well, let's look in this text a little bit further. Let's look down through the text. Um, the Bible tells us these two men died, and then it tells us in verse 23 about the rich man, and in hell, he lift up his eyes, being in torments. This may have been the first time the rich man was conscious in a long time. Okay? I don't know how he lived his life, but this may be the first time that he'd been away from his addictions and habits that have been his habits of life, and he was just, he had just been kind of in a, in a blur, in a fuzz. In a fuzz, he, you know, we, there's going to be no pills in hell. A lot of people today are completely addicted to different medications and stuff. And there's going to be nothing like that in hell. And so he's going to be off of all that stuff. He's going to be fully alert, fully awake. He's going to be aware of his surroundings. And he woke up in torments. The says as he lifts up his eyes. He looks around him. And he sees that poor beggar who he despised when he rode by in his carriage and his horse. That poor man who had nothing sitting right there. He sees him and he says, wow, he's eating well. He's in a nice place. There's light there. I'm in a place of darkness. I'm in a place of flame. I want some water? All he wanted was a little bit of food, breadcrumbs. Now, I just want water. If I could just have a little bit of water, I'd be all right. Would you? And his, his request is so appalling. Hey, Father Abraham, would, would you please send that old beggar? Remember that guy, Lazarus? You remember him? The guy that used to sit outside my gate, would you please bring him, send him here to this place of flame. to Put a little water on my tongue. I mean, the irony of his request. It's so selfish. He's in hell, in a place of torment. He can't get out. But he's looking up to this man who lived a life of suffering and expecting the poor man to now come and give him a little bit of water. I mean, the selfishness of his request, it shows he lived an entire life filled with himself. He was self-absorbed. Isn't that our American culture? Completely absorbed in self. And we're all tempted to live like the rich men. He says, send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. Hey, I just want a little bit of water on my tongue. Abraham said, son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things... Likewise, Lazarus is evil things, but now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. But he goes on to describe this. You say, how do you know that hell's suffering is eternal? It said, beside this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed... ...so that they that would pass from hence to you cannot... ...neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. Then he goes on and says this, which is another selfish request. He says, I pray thee, therefore, Father that thou wouldest send him to my father's house. Hang on a second. Lazarus lived a life like a beggar. He had nothing. His bones were probably sticking out of his body. He's now in a place of comfort. And this man, who has probably probably had a few pounds too extra, okay? I mean, he he had lived well. And he's sitting here in a place of flame and he looks up at this man who is now living in comfort and says, hang on, first comfort me and now, by the way, I want you to go preach the gospel to my family because I don't want them to come suffer like I am. You say that's such a noble request. He wants somebody to to preach to his family. It is a noble request, but it's a selfish request because he had the access to the gospel just like the rest of his family and he rejected it. The text goes on and says they have Moses, and the prophets let them hear them. They've got the gospel. They've got all they need. They have the Old Testament law. They don't need, He says, but if one went to them from the dead, you really think the family would have received Lazarus? I highly doubt if they would have received Lazarus back. <laughs> they rejected Lazarus. They could have put Lazarus up in their barn given him a roof over his head. They could have done something for Lazarus, but they did nothing for Lazarus in life. And now he wants Lazarus to go back and preach the gospel to the selfish family. For one reason, fire insurance. Please send it back to my family because I don't want my family to die and go to hell. If that is the only reason we want our family to get saved so they don't go to hell, that is extremely selfish. God did not send Jesus to come and die for our sins just to save us from hell. He wants to fellowship with us every day. He wants us to walk with him. It's a whole lot more than just fire insurance. But this man is at his desperation in this desperate hour. He just wants to. Fire insurance for his family. He says, send them back. Cause them to believe really fast so they won't come here. He's missing something. Repentance. See, what kept the rich man out of heaven was not the fact that he had money, but the fact that money had him. What kept the rich man... Out of heaven was not the fact that he had nice things, but that the nice things had him. When he wound up in hell, he now wants his family to get saved without repenting. And he wants to go to heaven without repenting. See, he still hasn't learned the lesson. As Jesus said, enter ye in at the straight gate, for straight is the gate and narrow is the way that leadeth unto life eternal. And he says, and few there be that go in thereat. I plead with you, flee from the wrath to come. There is a narrow path that leads to eternal life and there is a broad path leading to destruction. And what we have realized even in in recent days in, in the grand spectrum of Christianity is that many professing Christians were not truly saved. Because if they had been saved, they would have stayed in the faith. But they went out from us because they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us Look, when people get upset because souls are being saved, people are being won to the kingdom of God and being discipled, something's wrong with their heart, and they're not saved. If that gets them upset, the angels in heaven rejoice when sinners get saved. If a Christian, professing Christian, doesn't get get excited when somebody gets saved, and when somebody gets stirred up by God and wants to come to church, that doesn't excite their heart, they're not saved. Because if they were saved, they'd want somebody else to have eternal life. They'd want somebody else to have the bread of life. They'd want somebody else to have the word of God. But see, I'm saved. And I only want to talk to people that look just like me, smell just like me, think just like me. If they don't think like me and smell like me, I'm just not going to talk to them. I'm not, I don't want them to come to my church. I don't want them to come to my house. They would just be just like me. Ask for them no more. And we live a selfish life. And even in Christianity, it's a selfish Christianity. Self-centered often. This rich man lives selfish, and we're tempted to live selfish just like the rich man. Completely self-absorbed, completely absorbed in our own opinions. And could it be that the reason our lost families or our families may not be saved could be because we need to get saved ourselves? Could it be, you say, Pastor, you want me to doubt my salvation? No. But I don't want Lazarus to have to come preach to you to get saved. Because Lazarus ain't coming. You have Moses and the prophets. We have the word of God. I have to examine my life regularly, and I challenge you to examine your life regularly. The Bible says, if, He said, If one went to them from the dead, they will repent. He says unto them, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose to them from the dead. My friend, repentance is in order. 2 Corinthians 13, verse 5 says, Examine yourselves and see if ye be in the faith. You say, do you want me to be afraid of God? No. But you know what? There were some days, there were some years where I was afraid that I was not saved. There was a period for about two or three years. I was genuinely afraid that I was not saved. And you know what, it was a good thing for me. If you don't get afraid about whether you're saved or not, you're probably not saved. He says, examine yourselves. To examine means you go to the doctor and you say, doctor, do I have any cancer in my body? And then the doctor says the horrible news, yes. And you don't say to the doctor, Doc, I don't like you. You say, what's the solution? The solution is to put our faith in Christ, quit depending on ourselves and live for him. Live a life of faith depending upon him. When we live self-absorbed, we wind up in a very lonely place. Lonely, lonely, lonely. You realize this world is very lonely, is it not? People can be in a crowd. They can be around people in a big room. In a large gathering, yet still feel alone. We live in a very lonely world, and it's really due to the fact that we're very selfish, self-centered, self-absorbed. I challenge you, if you've not yet put your faith in Christ, call upon his name. There is a distinctly different way that the poor man lived than that the rich man lived. One was rich towards God. The other simply had a good life. He had everything he wanted. And you know what? Our American culture lives like this. Well, we're just going to put it on a payment. We'll have it. And uh, if I die, somebody else can think about the payment and worry about it. And our culture just lives for payments and having pleasure, having stuff right now, and uh, wanting more things and buying and selling things so that they can have more stuff. The rich man... The rich man simply wanted to tear down his barns in Luke, Luke 12 and build some bigger ones so he could have more stuff so that he wouldn't have to work the rest of his life. My friend, God wants us to honor him throughout an entire life, serve him throughout an entire life, and live a life dependent upon Christ. We're all going to have an appointment with death. and I invite you this morning, as we have heard this message, have we have heard of the rich man and the poor man, would you not say, Lord, help me, lest I fall into the temptation to live like the rich man, lest my heart be overcharged with the things of this life, and I miss Christ. Lord, would you help me that I might not follow the wicked path of the rich man, ...but that I might follow the path which leads to righteousness. He says, strive ye to enter in at the straight gate. The problem with sometimes in our our Baptist circles, what we have done. We said, well, you prayed a prayer, so you're saved. There's no fruit. There's no fruit. But you you prayed, we said, well, you prayed a prayer, so you're saved. You prayed a prayer, so you're saved. Yes, we sold fire insurance. You might have bought fire insurance, my friend... When you put your faith in Christ, there's repentance and there's a life following obedience to Christ and obedience to every leader God sends you. Obedience. If there's rebellion against the Holy Spirit of God, God is not pleased. Lord, help me follow you. The rich man lived a life absorbed self. The poor man absorbed in following Christ. It's either one or the other. We build our family on one way or the other. And a lot of Christian homes today, professing Christians, are truly being built just like the rich man. It looks just like a worldly house. And may the Lord help us that we might not live like the rich man, but instead live like the poor man, depending upon Christ. He obviously had somehow put his faith in the fact that Jesus would one day come and die for his sins. And Jesus gave us that analogy saying, look, one man lived by faith depending on the Son of God. The other man, he lived a life absorbed with pleasure. And you know what? At the end, he had nothing. The poor man, in the end, he had everything. It's one or the other. May we come today, may we come bow before the Lord and say, Lord, would you help me that I might live like the poor man? You say, does that mean we have to get rid of everything? It's a heart matter. It's a heart condition. Lord, that I might live a life depending upon the Son of God and that I might have a burden for the lost around me. And Father, if there, if I'm not saved, would you show me that? That's the way we ought to pray. Examine yourself to see if you be in the faith. Let's bow for prayer. We'll stand together. As we stand, I want to pray for you, and then we'll close out the live stream and have an invitation to respond to the Lord right up here. And I want to invite you. Maybe you haven't responded to in an invitation before, Maybe you've never come forward, and maybe you're a little bit nervous about it. You just say, what would it be like if I went forward and prayed? What would that be like? My friend, it might be the first step of obedience for you, where you just say, you know what, I'm going to respond to the Lord. The whole congregation of Israel would often fall on their knees before God. And I believe there's something about it. It's a biblical thing, kneeling before God, bowing before him. And I believe a people of God who are excited about God are going to bow their knees before God. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord and want to live a life depending upon him. What better way, 52 Sundays in a year, what better way a few of those Sundays if we would find ourselves at an altar praying and asking God to help us to live a life pleasing to Christ, a life dependent upon the Holy Spirit of God. Let's pray. Father, help us to do business with you. Help us to respond to your Holy Spirit. Help us to listen to your still, small voice. And Lord Jesus, if there be any among us who have not yet put their faith in Christ, I pray that you would cause them to turn, to repent, and to put their faith in Christ. That Jesus died and was buried and rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. And Father, if there be any who are here but maybe have wandered from you, that you would stir their heart in such a way then cause them to run to the cross, to run back to Christ and say, Lord, Lord, just like the prodigal son, I'm coming home. I'm coming home. I'm going to quit living like the rich man. I'm going to quit living that way. I'm coming home. I'm going to live a life pleasing to you because I realize one day I'm going to stand before you and I want to live accountable. Lord, I pray that you would help each of us to live a life pleasing to you. We thank you for what you're going to do in our hearts. May we be like Noah, the just man who has found that he pleased God. Lord, I pray that we would please you in everything that we do. Be with us, speak to our hearts, for we ask all these things in Christ's name. As the piano begins to play, I want to encourage you to do business with God this morning. Maybe you haven't come to the altar in a long time, but today will be a good day to start. As the piano begins to play, would you step out from where you're at and would you just say, Lord, help me. I want to lead my family on the, on the straight and narrow path. If that's your prayer, you want to lead your family on the straight and narrow path, you want to lead on the way that goes to life eternal, would you join down front? Would you come down and would you kneel and bow before the Lord? Would you ask the Lord to help? Would you ask the Lord to work? Would you come and pray for your family? Would you pray for the lost ones in your family that are not yet saved? Would you come and ask God to work? Would you come and kneel and bow before the Lord, your maker?